Welcome back to another episode of Unconventional Ways. Today we'll be talking with Dianexa about her journey in the lifestyle as a dominant aerobic shabari artist, lifestyle educator, and advocate. A little about Dianexa before we get started. Pronouns are she, her. She's an established dominant rope artist and kink educator who is internationally recognized for her aerobic shabari kink art and kink education. She runs a POC-friendly rope events in Bristol, UK where she has been active on the local scene for six years, promoting diversity and inclusivity within kink spaces, and that's being online and in person. She's also a moderator of Subtype Tuesday Group on FedLife, co-founder of Alternative Rope, and author of Rope Happy. Welcome to Nexit. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's a nice introduction. Thank you um, for having me. I feel very honored and privileged by this opportunity. Well. So let's get into it. <laughs> Tell us about your initial introduction to the lifestyle and right. how old were you at that time? Right. So in terms of the lifestyle, 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 um, I was about 41. It's just before my 41st birthday. That's how I know. Um, okay. But no, I just met I just met someone um, at a dance class. I used to dance Argentine tango, believe it or not. Um, and I just met someone there and we just hit off and we just started exploring different things together, different kinks and um, power exchange. So it was really interesting um, because up until that point, I had quite a conservative background. Um, mm. So to finally meet someone, I think there's something when you turn 40, you just, I don't know, maybe it's a midlife crisis thing. I don't know. <laughs> um, but you kind of like get to a point like, oh, actually, I just want to try different things out, right? You know? Right. So, um, so that kind of happened and so we're kind of on and off just doing different things and I learned really quickly that I like to be the dominant I like to be the person in charge um, and it took me I mean it, it sounds silly but for me in that context of you know having a very conservative religious background where women are always submissive if you like to men and that's the way the world is to suddenly realize that actually I enjoy being in charge and taking control. It actually took me two years to get to that point of acceptance. And my partner at the time, he would say like, you know, it's okay to be a dominant. Like, it did come so very naturally to me and, you know, light bulbs are going off in my head and like, wow, you know, Pandora's box is open <laughs> and suddenly I'm exploring all these amazing things and these different feelings in my body and in my mind. And it was, it was amazing, but it did take me two years to get to the point of thinking, yeah, I am a dominant. This is what I enjoy. Um, and at that point, I wasn't even in my local community. It was just between me and him and reading books and going to blogs and stuff like that. And so I got to the point where I joined FetLife. For those people who don't know, it's a, it's a social network for kinky people. So I joined that just really just to find other people and to find events um, and to find groups. And I think at that point, I already knew I was a dominant. And so I was just finding Similar groups, um, submissive men and women who love them on that life was probably the most influential group and probably still is because I get to talk to other women like me who like to be in charge and they're completely normal, you know, because up until that point, I had no understanding that we even existed. So it was really great at that point to have joined Kink Community, to have gone online and find other like-minded people 
Um, and so, yeah, and so I grew a lot more quickly then, a lot more in terms of my self-confidence and playing with different people and exploring different kinks and things like that. So, so yeah, so it's been about six so years, six, seven, eight years, maybe nearly, <laughs> um, of exploring um, up until now. But yeah, yeah. So when you had that light bulb moment, like, okay, I'm a dominant, I'm comfortable in doing this. Um, did you, at that point, did you have a submissive at that point or were you just kind of still exploring? Yeah. And so how? I, I was, I was with that partner. Um, okay. And like within a couple of months of a, I mean, I tried being submissive. It just didn't work. <laughs> it just mm -hmm. didn't work. My brain, I mean, just like, and he just looked at me and I, I'll never forget the moment. He, he handed me the cock and said, why don't you have a go? And I'll mm -hmm. never forget that. Cause I was, I was literally shaking. I was, my hand was shaking. Like, <laughs> oh I've never done this before but as soon as I got into it it was like literally my brain just like whoa it just like something just went off in my brain and I suddenly felt yeah. so alive it was just like the most um it was like a, a real a real boom in my head of like wow this is awesome <laughs> I like this um, <laughs> and so yeah so that was really early on in that relation within the first couple of months and then like the next I mean we were together on and off about four years um but he became my slave um so you know kind of developed that way slowly um but yeah yeah so yeah that was that was a very light bulb moment for me where I was like oh my gosh this can happen and then joining the scene <laughs> and meeting like-minded people going to events yeah. very pivotal moments where it's like you know it's that self-acceptance I think growing up I'm so sorry I'm rambling but this is what I do <laughs> but growing up um, yeah. so, so what's been your experience as a dominant woman of color and being on the scene in the UK and because I, I hear a lot of um, um, women here kind of get you know they're not approached respectfully at times but some people don't feel like they're dominant and a lot of um, things like that uh, yeah yeah it's, it's I, I can imagine it, it translates um across the um across the Atlantic yeah we it's very much oh you must be an Indian because I'm of mixed Asian um descent um part Indian part Pakistani and a few other places um so it's like oh you're like an Indian princess and things like this and I'm like uh no my race doesn't actually come into it it's just my sexuality I mean okay race is an important part of me my heritage mm. is an important part of me but that doesn't define my sexuality so it's weird how not weird it's actually very racist and if you think about it that's you know my race is somehow part of my sexuality when it isn't um and so I do find when people come to me like way back at the moment on Fet Life I've closed my inbox because I used to get messages like that all the time just because I just don't want them people just approach me oh do this to me and do that to me and I want this oh you must be a, a whatever a princess from India or whatever you know it's all that and she's like I can't be dealing with that I just can't be dealing with that yeah that, that's um, a lot that can be a lot yeah because I just want to explore who I am without my race being an issue um I mean obviously my race is an issue because I'm a person of color and uh Bristol being Bristol this is where we have the Colston statue that, that was knocked down um in the Black Lives Matter protest um a year or two ago so it's a very historically racist city. There's a lot of tension here with race and there's a lot of um, history here, right? So the mm -hmm. community here, the kink community here has that, um, but it's very subtle. I think um, when I talk to POC in America, 
it's very overt in your face racism right whereas here it's it's very um it's very subtle and it's very you know it's the look and it's the assumption that I don't know what I'm talking about because I'm my yeah. color is brown <laughs> you know um and it's that sort of thing and I've, I felt that I felt that uh, at points in the community where I'll go to events and I'll just assume you know I, I don't know what I'm talking about and a lot of assumptions that I'm a submissive as well being Asian I must be a submissive uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. um you know that, that that's like a big misconception within a lifestyle because I've met I've met like a, a good amount of Asian women that are dominant, especially at our rooftops. And right, you know, they, they get approached like it all the time, like, oh, I'm gonna tie you and be your sub and you're gonna be my sub. And it's like, uh, mm-hmm. she might beat the crap, she might beat the crap out of you instead. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> exactly right. But I've had that like even like two, three years into the scene here. People who know I'm a dominant, I'm a rope top, and this is who I am. I don't, I'm not submissive at all. This, please don't. But I still have people say, well, yeah, but because you self-tie, so those people who don't know me, I'm, I'm a self-tire as well. So I tie mm. myself and I'll post photos of myself dangling from trees and rope and stuff like that. And I try to get very artistic with it. Um, and I love it. It's, it's part of who I am. But they just assume that I've been topped and then I must be a submissive because I like to tie myself up. And it's like, no, no, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> so can can you tell us about your a bit about your dominant style? Yeah, so um it's not just she's not a disciplinarian. I call her a she because she's a different she is me, I am a dominant, but then mm-hmm. going into dom headspace, it's a different thing. I kind of need consent for that. You know, I can't just right. go around bossing people around, hitting them, calling them names. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> Unfortunately, you need consent to do that. Right. Get arrested otherwise. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's why I refer to her as a she, because that's just a part of my mind. So if I say that, that's what I mean. Um, you know, she's, yeah, she's a very, she's not a disciplinarian. She's very chilled. She's very, mm. um, she has a very nurturing style to her. That's kind of who I am. So when mm. I have a submissive, it's, so my title is a goddess. Okay. So dia from dia nexa dia means goddess and nexa is to do with rope binding together. All right. So dia nexa, okay. the goddess of rope. <laughs> um, so so dia is um, so goddess is my title and the reason I chose that is because when I take a submissive, it's like it's like a god um, having a slave. You know we worship our God, whoever you want is, Allah or Jesus or whoever, right? And the idea is it's the, the reason you're doing that worship is to be closer to them, but also to be a better person. So mm-hmm. the way I translate it is that I'm a goddess. I'm not a goddess, but that's my title. <laughs> I don't actually run the world, but that's but in the in the context of a DS relationship, it's like I'm the right. one setting the rules, but those rules are for the benefit of the slave or the submissive right because right, right. I want them to flourish and so each submissive that I've ever had um, I'm very um, it's a very long negotiation process you know I'll spend a good six months a year just getting to know them before I even talk about having a, um, a DS relationship just so I get yeah. to know them and their style and who they are and what their aspirations are and um, you know what their interests are and things like that and so then when I do start putting together um a dynamic and setting expectations which I literally do I have documents I put everything in in writing and I say right this is what I expect from you this is the protocol I want this is how you are going to address me this is how the the, the sort of 
um, how communication is going to work, how consent is going to work. You know, I, I, I literally write it all out, but that's based on everything I've learned about them for like six or 12 months, right? And what that's I great. learn about them is who they are, right? So when I'm taking right. on submissive, I'm not trying to impose my dominance on them. It's more my leadership is going to help them be a better follower. You know, it's very much lead following sort of thing. Like, I'm giving you these rules. I'm giving you these tasks. We're going to do this play session because it's going to be as good for you as it's going to be for me. And it's going to be something that, well, the idea, the intention is, is that, it, um, you know, it, it makes us better people. So that's how I kind of try to summarize <laughs> my style of dominance. <laughs> That's good, especially the the process of taking your time, getting to know them, because a lot of people try to rush into this, especially new people coming into the lifestyle as submissives or dominance, and they mm -hmm. yeah they see they see people that are in DSs already, and they feel like, oh, I need to get in one, and some people rush yeah. into them very early on, um, mm -hmm. and and also I feel like you having them take that time just showing patience like okay you actually want to do this rather than you're trying to just jump right. into it yeah I mean I've kind of always I've made those mistakes in the past years gone by you know I've made those mistakes where I've tried to start a relationship with some um, power exchange and it's gone wrong really quickly because I've not really gotten to know them properly or they've not gotten to right. know me and we're not we've not quite found where the compatibility is and then um, I think a year before last, I went to a class with Master Sable. Um, he okay. did a class online about Master Slave Dynamics. And he said, it's a five-year process. <laughs> and I took on his process. And he said, the first year is you just go off and you do therapy for a year. So I went off and I did therapy for a year. Okay. Um, and then the next year is vetting people and taking a year to vet people. Um, I might not take a year, probably six months to a year, but I think you do need that time. Vetting isn't just asking their mates, are they right. all right? Because their mates are going to say, yeah, they're all right. And if they're, um, if they're not, uh, you know, a healthy person to be around, an abusive person to be around, they can be amazing on the scene. They can have, mm -hmm. you know, amazing scenes and everybody look up to them, but behind closed doors, you just don't know, right? Um, right. So you really do just need to get to know people and really slow things down um yeah yeah okay that's very good advice um <laughs> so how so how did you get drawn into rope and shibari and self-tying right so um when i had that amazing relationship all those years ago um yeah so we were doing a lot of bondage anyway with straps and chains and things like that we kind of do and rope kind of came into it a bit just because that's what we were researching. Um, but then, um, sadly, my dad passed away a few years ago. And my next door neighbor, of all people, came out to see me. And she's been really lovely and supportive. Um, but I noticed marks on her arms. <laughs> I said, what are those? Rope marks. And then we just got into a long discussion about rope and shibari and stuff. And so I went to my partner then. I said, oh, look. Should we try this? Um, yeah, and so, yeah, that's kind of how it started, really, just that inspiration and then looking online. And then when I joined the rope community or the kink community locally, um, people recognised that, actually, the photos I was posting on Life at the time, um, my rope was actually quite good and looked really pretty. And so a local 
Dungeon Monitor, who runs or who runs a rope event here as part of a, a major kink event here. He contacted me and he said, oh, you know, would you like to come along? Would you like to join in? Um, you know, I think it'd be great. And so I sort of went along, um, I just got stuck in. I'm quite a confident person. Um, so, you know, I'm able to just rock up to events and say, hey, what's going on? <laughs> you know, um, and then within a few months, um, they asked me to become a dungeon monitor myself. Um, okay. So that was really cool. So for a good year, I was doing that. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's kind of a in a relationship, had it, joined the community. Rope was actually a really good thing. Um, but the thing I like about rope and the reason why I got drawn so much into it is because it's a process. It's not, you know, anyone can put some straps on somebody and tie them something with some leather straps or whatever, right? When it comes to rope, there's a whole process to it. You know, it takes time to actually tie someone up and um, it can create all sorts of emotions and all sorts of um, different head spaces. So with the partners I have now, I'm very blessed to have a handful of partners and um, they all react very differently to rope. Um, and so quite early on in my rope journey, I just got drawn into this fact that, you know, you can tie one person up and they become like a kitten. You can tie another person up and they just drift off in, into subspace. You can tie another person up and they're just really horny, right? Uh, you just don't know. And it's just amazing that rope can just draw out so many different responses from people and the way you tie a person can um, can influence that as well. Um, so yeah, so that's how rope sort of started. The self tying bit was because I just wanted to practice. Um, you know, I'd sort of go to events maybe once a month at that point, and have maybe one or two partners that I'd meet at events. But in between, I'd want to practice because you do need a lot of practice. Um, and actually, I thought, oh, actually, this feels quite nice. <laughs> and so I started doing it more and more um, to myself. And especially with suspensions, it's really hard to practice on other people regularly because um, the events are only like once a month. And being able to do that was quite tricky. So then I started, OK, I'll self-suspend as well. I'll start seeing how it feels on my body so then I can learn what it feels like. And um, I just really enjoyed it. It just took me to different headspaces and I'm still in control. Dom me is still there. You know, I'm not being submissive, um, but I'm bottoming for myself. So it's a really different sort of headspace to get into. So, yeah, so I kind of started off. Uh, that's the long answer. The long answer, the short answer is I, it was to practice, but then I just kind of fell in love with it um, for my own self. And it's become like a, a self-discovery thing for me and for self-expression and um just falling in love with my body again I think just oh actually my body's an amazing thing <laughs> um yeah so so when you're self-tying do you kind of go have, do you go into like a subspace or a top space like how do you how does that yeah how, you how know like close. a mixture of it and then but also like in that space like when you come down or you have like top drop sub drop or like is yeah. it similar ones at the same time yeah it's interesting because it's kind of both and then some of a bit of one and then of another and it kind of depends what i'm doing as well yeah. because some of the rope i'm doing is more decorative and it's just oh, look pretty make a video make a reel for instagram and check that on or whatever but if it becomes yeah. more bondagey or if it becomes like suspensions and there's more pain involved or there's more um the compression on the body then my head does go into different spaces 
So it's really interesting because when it comes to top space and bottom space, because obviously as a top, I experience that all the time with my with my bottom. But um, so I still have that. I'm still very focused. You go into this tunnel vision and I focus, the rope is going on my body, I'm connecting with my body. But at the same time, my body is feeling it as well. So you you are literally feeling both ends of the spectrum at the same time. So you know, get all the endorphins going off and um, all the happy hormones running through my body, and it's really amazing. But yeah, it really depends. So if I'm doing something more intense, if I'm doing suspension, when I come down, I do drop. But it's both a top drop and a bottom drop. So you know, it's kind of like yeah, because so I think initially it's a rush because as you I don't know how experienced you are with the rope in this respect but um if you take rope off a body off my body or somebody else's body there's a whole rush of chemicals that come even with that so the untying process can actually be an amazing experience in and of itself so I get through those emotions and then I'm really happy for a while I look at my photos I post to Instagram and stuff like that um but then after a few hours I will drop and that's when I need to like get my snacks in get some carbs in keep hydrated find a nice cozy place to, to chill and stuff like that um so yeah it's, it's interesting I think self-tying has given me a lot of respect for bottom because I can totally appreciate what they're going through um through right. the whole process yeah so that's a, a wave of emotions and then you have your your self-care um and some yeah. care plan in place afterwards so that's good so yeah, let's yeah. let's let, let's um talk about your um lifestyle education. So you do consent and negotiations, you um help educate people on healthy relationships, as well as spotting abuse. Um could you give yeah. us a little info on those and how long you've been doing it? All right. So um in terms of those particular classes, um I was doing them over lockdown. Um, so on FetLife, previous to lockdown, <laughs> previous to this whole pandemic crazy situation we're in, previous to all of that, I do a lot of writing on FetLife um, and on my yeah. blog. And I'd be teaching about consent and negotiations and te teaching about healthy dynamics um, and teaching about safety generally just through writings. But then when it came to um, events not happening and suddenly they're all online, I started creating my own events online start teaching those classes then also teaching some some tying techniques um and then as lockdown eased so last year um at the end of summer i started running some in-person events so that's pretty much what i'm continuing doing now and of those classes there's three core classes and i call them the fundamentals of rope um the first one is um about health and safety so thinking about the body and how rope reacts to the body and the things that you need to be careful of different pressure points and um, also looking at your personal risk assessment as well um you know what what health needs do you have what mental health and physical needs you have so that's my first class so i teach that the second one is all about consent and negotiation um so looking at the anatomy of consent what is consent how it can vary from person to person and then how to negotiate a scene with somebody so if you met somebody understanding how to negotiate those things, making sure you've got consent and yeah, going through the process of negotiation, right? And then the last right. one is about building those healthy relationships and those um, fulfilling themes, right? So you've got all the safety bit of information, then you've learned about how to consent 
um, how to negotiate themes and establish consent. And then it's actually looking at developing those themes and developing them dynamics um, and sort of giving lots of advice on doing that. Um, but also part of that is spotting abuse because a crucial difference within the lifestyle um, and abuse is consent. You know, like I said earlier, and I was joking, I can't go around just hitting somebody and <laughs> calling them right, names and right. things like that, right? You need consent to do that. Um, so the reason, so that's why I do that in that order. So those are the three chapters I teach locally, um, because I think you can't really explore kink. You can't really, in my opinion, um, you can't really do much without understanding those three basic things. You need to know safety. You need to know about consent, and you need to know what healthy relationships and dynamics actually look like, as opposed to right. abuse. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so. So tell us a bit about um, your work with diversity and inclusion in kink spaces and um, what have some of those challenges been with that locally in Bristol as well as in the UK? Yeah, so where I am, um, I am literally, um, and now it happens down Bristol is a very multicultural city. I think something like 15 or 20% or something are, are people of colour, right? But I'm literally mm -hmm. the only person of colour that you will regularly see at an event. Okay. It's so whitewashed. It's so whitewashed. It's like, where are the brown people? Um, so no, really, it's it is really bad. So then, with my events, I say POC friendly, and I'm explicit. I'm a person of color. Come, <laughs> please come to my right. events. And I've had people come, coming to my events, which is really good because then I've seen them then go off to other events as well. And I'm like, great, you know, they're engaging in the themes. This is something that I've really wanted to model. Um, but even when I was a dungeon monitor at the local event. Um, it was the major event for the southwest of England. Um, yeah, in that time, I think I only saw two people of colour come to that event, and they only came once, and then they disappear. Mm. And it's like, no, why haven't you come back? So that's why I set up my own events, and I've made it explicitly um, right. friendly because they need to know that if something happens, if they feel uneasy, there's someone they can go to. Because you know, like I said, I'm a very confident person. But I have felt that racism. I have felt those looks. I've had those assumptions made about me in kink spaces. So I know exactly what it feels like. Now, I'm very confident. I can say whatever. They're idiots, whatever. But not everybody can. And if you're right. very new to the lifestyle and you've grown up in a city here, which is racist, you know, in a society that is just systemically racist, right? Um, it's really hard to engage in spaces that are so white. And there is racism there. There are blatantly racist people here on the scene. Um, and it's it's difficult. It's really difficult for people. And I felt that. Um, and I still feel it. I still feel it. <laughs> um, so are there, yeah. are there like any, any spaces that are exclusively run or owned by POCs um, in the area? Or is this something that needs to kind of be here. built? Okay. Um, I know I know recently um, in the last year, um, Baby Bratisa, I think that's her name on FetLife, um, she's running um, POC only events in London. London's a okay. bit further from me. Um, so I know those are going really well. I know she's running lunches and I know she's doing stuff over there. So there are spaces that um, they're very few and far between. I mean, that's the only one I know of, put it that way. <laughs> that's explicitly for people of colour. Um, but, you know, I've had other events run by non-POC, you know, white people that they've come to me asking for advice, how can we be more inclusive? And so, you know, I try to give them advice about being more welcoming and understanding the pressures that people of colour 
have when they go to an event that is all white, <laughs> you know, or 90% white, you know. Um, so I think that's probably the, that's what I'm trying to do in terms of the community here in the UK is just providing that modeling. So on my blog, I do post um, advices on that of how to make sure your, your, um, your event is POC inclusive, how you can um, support people of color in your event. Um, because there's also the tendency, I don't know how it is in America, but over here to have what we call the white savior complex, where white people want to save brown people. So you get some, and I've experienced this, where they're very well-meaning white people are like, oh, we want you to come to us because you are brown and we want you to be here and all of this. And it's like, okay, just because I'm brown, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> it becomes tokenistic, right? It becomes like, oh, I'm here. You're trying to look not racist by asking a brown piece of person to come to your event so you don't look racist, <laughs> right? So you get that. <laughs> And then you get some white people who want to save me. Oh, we're so and they pity me, like, oh, we're so sorry you're experiencing this. And what can we it's like, don't talk down to me. <laughs> um, um, but it's it's they don't realize that that's a tone of racism as well. It's a very subtle form of racism. Um uh, so yeah, that's an that's an interesting challenge I have to navigate as well as a person of color. Like how how can I help people, you no know, allies be better allies? without having to take on too much work myself because it's not my job really but um they need it they need to understand that trying to save me or using me as a token gesture is equally as racist as not inviting me to your event yeah <laughs> i mean i remember like pre-pandemic and pre-black lives matter and the toppling of the statue and the death of george floyd rest in peace um approaching a rope event that we're looking for volunteers and I approached them and they said no thank you and then on the back of the Black Lives Matter movement they suddenly contacted me would you like to come and support us and I'm like oh now you're interested right and I'm sure they meant it well they're trying to they're trying to do their best but sometimes I think there's a little bit of tone deafness in, in, in our approaches um yeah. So yeah, so when I'm when I'm engaging with people that are running events that are are trying to be more inclusive, it's helping them understand that they need to not be quite so tone deaf in the approaches they make towards people of colour. I think that's an issue right. um, as well. Yeah, yeah I don't know if you have that as much in America. I, I don't know uh, if that's something you have in America. How yeah, explicit it there, is there. Yeah, there, there's some like that in America. <laughs> it's it's a good bit. I mean, they're trying, right? They're, they're, it's coming yeah. from a good intention. Um, yes, yeah, some people are trying. Some are kind of, it, it's like they're trying to do it, but not with the best intentions, if that makes sense at times. So you got to yeah. kind of, it, it's like you got to kind of figure out what their stance is and their yeah. views and to kind of and look at them work. as a whole picture. Yeah. And that's more work for us, right? They don't realize yeah. that. That's oh, yeah. even more work for us. You know, for a white person to set up an event, whatever, fine. But for us, it's like we have to navigate that as well and right. navigate the idea that, you know, they're like, oh, I'm not racist. I've got black friends. Uh, this isn't a racist event. There's a brown person that helps run it. You know, it's the same thing. Well, it's the when, same thing. when people, yeah, when people say that, like, oh, I'm not racist because I have black friends or whatever, I tell them, like, the founding fathers of America had um, 
children with their enslaved black women. So uh, that's a voided statement. Um, <laughs> so it, it's one of those like you can't you can't rely on that no more. Uh, so 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 tell me tell us about our Turner Rope. Uh, I know you said it's like it aims to uh, to celebrate diversity and rope. Um, tell us a little bit about that, how it came about. Yeah, so um, there's an international rope photo competition that runs every year. And it's lovely. And people, and I've, been, I've submitted photos for it, and people get amazing prizes and get recognition internationally for their rope. But mm. after a few years, I just, I got, it got under my skin. It's like the only people winning this competition up until that point were very stereotypically male dom white skinny female sub um very stereotypical very and very polished photos by you know clearly people that have money to get into studios and to yeah. afford all of this and i wrote a piece on fetlife where i said i'm not going to enter it this year i'm just not going i'm not going to do it because my rope is pretty good my rope experiences are you know I'm I love the rope I'm doing the fact that I don't have you know all the latest cameras and money to hire studio spaces or you know the time and the ability to drive off and find some amazing locations in the middle of the English countryside or whatever um that's that's a huge barrier to me Right. And I'm kind of established in my community. I'm quite well known for the rope that I do. And I'm finding that a barrier. What about everybody else? What about the person that, you know, equally doesn't have money, doesn't have the technology, doesn't have the skills and the experience of doing rope? Why can't we celebrate what they're doing as well? And I feel like competitions like that and social media in general, it portrays rope as being that stereotype. And but when you go to rope events, when you go to kink spaces, there's so much diversity. Um, yeah, you know, it's just so, it's, what you see online does not reflect what goes on in the real world. Right. So I, so I wrote that piece, um, hit kinky and popular on FetLife, everybody started commenting. And then um, uh, Miss Bliss, um and blue submission they suggested why don't we do our own and so we all got together and i got together whiskey tango foxy as well he's an awesome human and he said right let, let's set up a different thing to counteract that the narrative that rope is only for a very particular type of person we want people of color we want disabled people we want queer people we want you know whatever we want everybody to be able to enjoy rope and celebrate that so we so we did we ran that event last year and we've kind of been doing a few um themes across the way and we had um and it was lovely we're hoping again to do that again this year but we're kind of trying to see where the appetite is because last year we had lockdowns and people were interested in doing that so we're trying mm -hmm. to figure out that at the moment but um yeah that was the reason for it just to so you know to give a voice to everybody like everybody's body you know, you can do rope at the top, as the bottom, as the switch, as a self-tire. You can right. enjoy rope. And it doesn't have to be polished. You don't have to have the latest technology. You don't need amazing locations. You don't need the outfits. You don't need whatever. Just enjoy rope. <laughs> and we're going to help you celebrate that, <laughs> you know? And, so yeah, that, and that's, that's great. That, that's really good. Because I've seen 
I think over this, like since the new year, over the last, you know, since I would say since around November, December last year, coming into the new year, I've seen more photos of more diverse rope, more yeah, rope, more people being represented in rope projects. Um, I even saw um, an individual who was in a wheelchair being suspended. So I saw that saying, recently. Yeah, so awesome, it's more. Right? Yeah, it's more and more people that are just, you know, their content is being put out there. And I know a lot of people say how, um, you know, like Instagram and um, even, I guess you say FedLife, they have a certain algorithm that they push out and it kind of mm. decreases seeing, like you said, it's decreasing seeing the diversity inclusivity within um, other people doing their rope. But when you stumble across it, it's like, oh, that's cool. And you get all kind of ideas. You're like, okay, I can try that, uh, or I can. Yeah. I want to learn how to do that. So it's it's interesting seeing all this stuff that's coming out, especially um, with the lockdown ending and more people are kind of feeling a little more comfortable to actually go out and um, yeah, meet people to learn and stuff. So it's it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I think so, it's really important as leaders for us to model that. You know, when mm -hmm. we're running events and when we're putting content online that we've modeled that anybody can do it. Because I think as a human being, as individual human beings, we aspire to what we know, right? So if we see, mm -hmm. oh, that is possible. Oh, that's possible. And then suddenly, uh, you know, like you say, you suddenly realize that you can actually do, do different things in different ways. You don't have to pigeonhole things the way right. it has been before. Um, yeah, that's really important. Yeah. Sorry, because even, yeah, because even, even here in, um, in New Orleans, you know, and I, and I would say this in the South, like we don't, we don't really have that stereotypical size zero model here. <laughs> like we, we have people that have different body types and a lot of people, they're always like, well, cause I've heard, I, I saw, uh, I heard a rope top tell someone, well, I don't, I don't tie bigger size or larger size frames and, Ooh. and stuff like that. And it was like, well, that's kind of weird. And it was like, then try to follow us. Well, I don't have enough rope. Well, if you're a rope top, you need to have enough rope. Like, you shouldn't be out here. Yeah, with that. yeah right. Like, you, you sitting over here with three, three hanks of rope talking about your, your rigor and stuff. Like, you know, you need to have more than that because there's so many body types. And not just that, like, there's so many different um, designs and stuff that you can tie. And you need, you, you also, you always yeah. have extra rope just in case. Um, yeah but at the same time I'm going to just draw in on one issue that I have with that I agree I agree totally that you know as a rigger you should not be close-minded to tying different bodies and different size bodies and stuff like that mm -hmm. but at the same time I'm personally I'm really careful about criticizing people because mm -hmm. perhaps they can't afford the rope or perhaps mm -hmm. they just don't have the self-confidence to learn to tie different bodies perhaps they've had really negative experiences in the past and they've got some emotional blocks. So on a human mm. level, this is just me being a really nice person. <laughs> I'm try, I try not to judge. I try to model, right? I say, mm. okay, yeah, you should be able to tie everybody, but I'm not going to say you're a bad person for not doing that. I'm just, mm. just going to say, well, you know, if you try this, it becomes possible. Now, some people yeah. are going to be, I'm only going to tie that type of body because that looks pretty on Instagram. I'm going to get the most likes blah 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 right that but that just shows their true colors but there are some people out there who lack the confidence and I know I have in the past particularly 
um, suspending bigger bodies because I'm a very petite person I don't have very much strength to pull myself up some days leave alone somebody twice my size so I've had to learn how to do it and the only way I've learned how to do it is by going out and asking people um so from an educational perspective I'm very much like okay let's show people how it's done that's how you you get past it personally that's me just being trying not to be too judgmental because there are some people that just don't that have that block and they haven't seen how it can be done but at the same right. time I recognize what you're saying yeah there are some people that really are just they just want the, the likes on Instagram or that life or Facebook or whatever oh yeah yeah <laughs> this this particular person was like you can see his content and then to tell tell someone who had a larger frame than what he posts it was just like well that's just weird thing uh, but you've okay. missed the point um, as well they've missed the yeah. point if it's just about yeah. focus you miss the point of growth growth is so yeah. much more than just like doing for, yeah, <laughs> you know? like for me like i like to tie different body sizes um because i, I feel like it challenges me to come up with something new and, and i always try to tell folks like you can tell me the idea that you like you kind of want to be tied but then mm-hmm. i i'm not going to promise that because I like I free time when I start when I get going like my mind just takes over and I just start free time so it yeah, may yeah, be completely yeah. different <laughs> so yeah uh, so tell tell us about self-tied Tuesday um what is it how to come about so self-tied Tuesday um it's been running for I think since 2016 I think but I've only joined last year as a moderator I've been participating for a good few years um okay. It's a weekly, um, they post, or we post now that I'm, I'm one of the moderators, we post a theme every week. Um, and yeah, just to inspire people to, to self-tie um, uh, on a weekly basis. And you can join in whenever you want. You don't have to. Some of the themes might resonate with you. Some of them might not. Um, so I've just posted one this week and I've called it Rope Hope. Um, and the idea is that you think about your goals in rope and thinking about emotions of hope that you may have and um go away and think about your goals and just post a photo and then we'll all go there and we'll like it and make some really nice comments about um what they're doing and the thing i love about that group and it is one of the very few groups that i really do love on pet life is that it's just so welcoming over the years that i up until you know more recently when i've become a moderator myself before that it was just so welcoming and everybody just celebrating you know how no, it doesn't matter how good you are at rope. It doesn't matter how much rope you have, the quality of the rope, the quality of the photo. It doesn't really matter. It's the fact that you're self-tying um, and you're experiencing that for yourself. And you've got the courage to take a photo and post it on the internet for other people to see. Um, right. That's just that's just an amazing thing. And a lot of people like me do enjoy self-time, you know, for the reasons I've said before, you know, you get all the different emotions with it, you get to celebrate your own body, um, and also, um, so creating that space, and, and now to be a moderator of it since, I think, was it uh, November, I think, last year, um, it's it's been such an honour and a privilege to be working with that team, because the focus is, again, about diversity, and about, you know, let anybody tie and just post what you've been tying, even if it's just whatever it is, that's what you were feeling like doing that week, that's vaguely related to the theme, let's see that photo and we're gonna love it and we're gonna tell you how awesome you are. Um, Yeah, so I really like that group because again, it's got the same vibe and the same 
intention of being inclusive, of letting everybody join in, um, which is what community is supposed to be about, right? It shouldn't be too cliquey. <laughs> um, some groups and some events, you know, they can be really cliquey and it's really hard to like, oh, to fit in almost. Um, so I, I do like South Tai Tuesdays. It's a great group. If anybody wants to join, um, please do, do come along, just join, come along and see what we're doing. And there's lots of resources on there as well. Um, if you want to start learning South Thai, um, yeah, it's great. I, I'm, I'm really proud to be part of that team. So Rope Happy, it's a, so he told me it was a comprehensive guide to self-development for rope and kink play. Uh, what inspired you to write this? So Rope Happy. So I've been wanting to write a book for a while um, because I've been writing a lot on Fet Life and because I've been doing classes already um, around uh -huh. you know, things like consent, building relationships, blah, 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 and all of those sort of things, safety and everything. So I've been teaching a lot of classes already, um, but also in, in my vanilla life, I'm an educator, but I'm also a life coach. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what I get paid to do for a living. Um, and during lockdown, so I've had COVID twice and I experienced long COVID. Um, I became really ill um, at one point and I was furloughed from work. And I just had an idea of why I can't, so I don't know if you're aware of coaching, but the idea is that you help people achieve their goals. Um, uh -huh. I had an idea of incorporating that with mindfulness. So I started writing a book about that and I tried to make it as real as possible. And I was talking about body positivity and then I suddenly realized like, oh my gosh, well, how much do I actually talk about kink in this book that is actually a vanilla book, right? And I was talking to one of my, my partners, um, one of my submissives, and I said, I'm not quite sure what to do. And he said, well, you're writing two books. <laughs> and I was. So I've got one vanilla book, um, which is all, very focused on, on mindfulness and goal setting and a very re reality-based book. And then I have Rope Happy. And Rope Happy incorporates um, self-awareness and um, goal setting as part of your rope journey right mm -hmm. okay. so it's it's kind of come in a roundabout way so then rope happy came along so I started writing about body positivity and stuff like that but then as I was writing the book I realized no I actually need to put a bit more education into this end of the spectrum so that's where all the stuff that I've been teaching on consent goes into it safety and then there's chapters um, on self-awareness, on um, learning about communication um, and um, all sorts, basically. Um, and then also building relationships and spotting abuse. Um, so it's a very, when I say it's a comprehensive book, it really is a comprehensive book. <laughs> um, it goes through um, everything that you kind of need to know, not only for rope, but for general kink um, play as well. Um, so if I just read through the chapter, um, chapter titles the first one is what is rope chapter two safety first so looking at safety chapter three is your rope journey so thinking about you and what you want on your journey um mm -hmm. chapter four is managing your difficult thoughts and feelings chapter five is your consent negotiations um and then six is rope relationships so thinking about different types of relationships that you can have um seven is about um called relationship fundamentals so looking at love looking at trust and looking at communication and then the last chapter is when things go wrong so when there's a consent violation or, or if you're in an abusive situation being able to spot that abuse and finding ways to get out um mm -hmm. so 
so yes yeah, so it's a very comprehensive it like takes you through everything that you need to know um based on my experience and um and what i know basically um so yeah so, so where, that's how the book came about <laughs> so so where can um this book be found and where like people can purchase it download it um, yeah sure it's on amazon um so you can get a kindle version um if you go to my blog, www.dnexo.com, you can start reading it for free. And the first chapter or two, uh, you can start reading for free so you can get a sample um, and preview it. And then you can buy it yeah, via Amazon or via Kindle. Okay. So what's, uh, what, what's some advice that you have for those interested in joining this lifestyle, learning to to tie rope or to be tied? Um, my general advice, so if somebody, and I get this a lot, so say, oh, what should I do? Um, slow down, right? Don't rush, really don't rush, really don't rush. And I was at an event recently, I went to a much, I don't go to events very often, but I went to a much recently and I, I met this beautiful woman and she came up to me and said, oh, I want to be suspending within a year. I'm like, oh great, how long have you been doing rope? Oh, I've never done rope before. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> never, you don't, she doesn't even know what rope feels like on her body, leave alone what it's going to be like to be dangling from the ceiling or somewhere, right? right. Um, so it's people just, I think a lot of new people that come to the kink lifestyle or want to learn about rope or whatever kink, they have an idea that they've got from the internet, they've gone to the local community, right, I want to do this, and you okay. really just, you've really got to tell them just to slow down take your time, get to know people, go to classes, um, read around, um, join groups, join, you know, and listen to different opinions. Don't just follow one opinion. So anybody that comes to my classes, I'll say, right, this is based on my opinion. Also go to that class and go to that class and read this blog, right? And I give them loads of information of other places and sources of information because my opinion is just my opinion, right? The next person is just their opinion. At the end of the day, you're responsible for your own education and what you're going to do. Um, so you've really got to slow down and just take your time to slowly do things one thing at a time. Don't just rush into a, a, a DS dynamic where you're suddenly going to be tied up and beaten with whatever implement and whatever. If you've not experienced that before, you need to slow down and just do things one at a time. Mm -hmm. um, one thing at a time. That's, that's the main advice I generally give to new people. To really slow down and if somebody if you join the scene as a new person and somebody is within a few weeks or a couple of months you're dominant that's a red flag <laughs> right <laughs> because a dominant will not take on a brand new person to be their slave to live with them and do it x y and z if they have the ethics and yeah, they've taken their time to know them right yeah to wild. me that's a red flag. <laughs> <laughs> right right so I, so, you know, I write about that on, on my blog and on Pet Life as well. And, you know, I talk mm -hmm. about it quite openly. Like, you know, it is a red flag. Don't just jump into things because that can actually be a sign of abuse that that right. person is taking advantage of you because they know you don't know. And they're going to just say, oh, this is how it's done. Look at what this person says. Right. You know, they try to be very controlling in terms of the information you get and the support you receive. They try to isolate you from other forms of information, um, which I've seen. I've seen, I've even experienced it myself to a certain extent. When I first joined the scene, there was someone that was like that with me and I had to be like, okay, 
because I know the signs, I was able to back out quite quickly. Um, but not everybody does. And I've seen a lot of people um, harmed quite badly in my community because they've not had that advice to slow down and just to take their time, really. Yeah. So can you tell the listeners one lesson you've learned for yourself during your time in the lifestyle? Um, a lesson about myself? Mm -hmm. Or just a lesson you've learned that you feel like it's something that's stuck with you since being within the lifestyle? Yeah, I think, um, I think the most important thing you can learn, or I've learned, is that every relationship you go into will be brand new. And it, you can't replicate what you've had before. I've had many conversations with people, and this is something I've had to work on myself. So this is something that's really, really is relevant to me as well. That sometimes you're in a relationship with someone, it doesn't work out, and you try to replicate it with someone else. You can't. Mm -hmm. You really can't because that's just a brand new person. They're going to have their own perspective on things, their own aspirations in relationships. They're going to have their own their own way of doing things um and that is probably the most important thing I've learned in terms of relating to other people that you can't project whatever you think you want in a relationship onto someone else you can only build whatever grows organically between you um and that's why you know people say well you've got so many partners why it's like because I'm treating them as individuals and they treat me as an individual they respect me as a person and whatever relationships I'm building with my partners, that's based on what works for us. You know, they are their person, they, I am me. Okay, what can we do for each other that will fulfill both of us at, um, at the same time? Um, right. Rather than, because I know when I left that relationship with, you know, I had that slave for a while, I tried for a while and it was a big mistake, try to replicate that relationship again. And I learned um, after a while that, no, that's never going to happen again. That was that relationship in that time with that person in that context. I'm a different person already because I've joined the local community. I'm growing in my self-awareness. I'm going to be a different person already, right? So I'm not going to replicate that again. I'm going to have a different relationship with a different person. And as soon as I accepted that and allowed whatever, whatever love and whatever forms, so I'm very so I'm polyamorous. Um, whatever love that comes my way and accept it for what it is rather than try to change it to be something that it isn't um that that's a that's been a huge learning curve for me like that's just in the last few years two or three years I think um yeah don't try to replicate something or if you see someone um you see a relationship and you want the same you think oh I want that master slave dynamic oh I want that top I want to have a, a, a rope relationship like that person with that person um, you can't because you're not the same people and you're living in different contexts. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a, that's a, the main thing I think I've learned on my on my journey over the years is that you do just have to accept people as individuals and um, and just embrace it. Really embrace it. Don't don't feel bad that you feel differently. <laughs> it's fine, <laughs> and so it's more real and it's more authentic and it's more lasting. It lasts longer. If you just accept people for who they are, that that is very true. <laughs> yeah. So so where can the viewers best find you? Um, you have LinkedIn, 
so, email, yeah, website. Um, so okay. yeah, so I'm on Set Life as Dianexa, D-E-A-N-E-X-A, and then on Instagram, Dia underscore Nexa, or my blog, www.dianexa.com. That's where you can find me. <laughs> okay, awesome. So this has been another episode of Unconventional Ways Kinky Podcast. I want to thank you, Dianexa, for being a part of this and giving us thank your you. experiences and really appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. All right.